Welcome to the table, everyone. My name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table, and we're so glad that you're with us tonight on this first Sunday night in August 2020. Hey, and we're also coming to you from Bethlehem Lutheran Church. The last two Sunday nights, we've been out in their garden, but this is the first night that we've had a chance to actually be inside their sanctuary. So giving you a little glimpse of where we'll be worshiping when we do return to worshiping together. And on that note, we did just want to continue to communicate with you all on um, the update on that. And the update on that is we are still holding that very loosely. We actually don't know. Intend originally, we had intended on returning to worship the first Sunday in September, and that is no longer the plan, it doesn't look like. We're following the lead of Bethlehem Lutheran, sort of our host church, and at this time they have made the decision not to return to church this fall. So as COVID continues to unfold, as the pandemic um, continues to surge, we are uh, waiting until we make the decision on when we will return to church and how that will look, but we promise to keep you all posted. So along with that, I wanted to thank everyone who participated in the back-to-school drive for Ace in the City. And um, we had lots of people drop off backpacks and drop off uh, money in those backpacks so that we could help um, kids through the Ace in the City program um, as they get ready to return to school, whether it's um, distance learning or back to school, there was still a big need for those backpacks. So thanks for that, everyone. We sure appreciate your generosity. The other things we wanted to remind you of is that if you want to be connected, all you need to do is text 33222 and you can stay connected. We'll let you know about everything that we have going on in our community. And last but not least, thanks. Thanks for your generosity and the way that you give and continue to give. Um, and it feels like it's a little bit hard in these times, but you guys have really been faithful and loyal and we sure appreciate it. If you'd like to increase your giving or you want to start giving, all you need to do is go to our website, thetablempls.com, tap on the giving tab, and you can do your giving there. So glad that you're with us tonight. Um, good to be together, and I'll turn the message over to Matt. Okay, thanks, Debbie. You guys seen when Jerry Nadler puts on his mask and it's just a disaster? That's kind of what I feel like. All right. Uh, welcome to church, everybody. My name is Matt Moberg. We are grateful that you are with us. Um, can you hear me? We good? Yeah. Um, thanks for being with us. Uh, again, we know this. We say this every week, but we kind of know the struggle that it is to do church through a screen. You feel it. We feel it how we are in this reality together, but we are grateful every time you show up. We're trying to up our game and, and dignify your participation by providing you with some good vid and good audio, and uh, hopefully it's working out just fine. We've been going through in this season the lectionary. We've been riding with the church through the rhythm of the church by going through different scriptural passages, gone through the Hebrew Bible, the Gospels, Pauline's epistles, the prophets, and, and we're going to continue to do that tonight. This week's text comes from Genesis 32, and it's one of my favorite stories. Um, I've spoken on this before. I've probably re uh, referenced it in the past. But it's the story of when Jacob wrestles the angel slash God slash mystery figure of divine origins. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis 32, 22 through 31. Let me read the text, 
uh, right now for you. That night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives. We'll, we'll talk about that. We'll deal with that one on a different service. His two female servants, it gets worse, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left all alone. And there, while he was alone, a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then the man asked him, what is your name? Isn't that just a funny story in and of itself? Let me just pause and just acknowledge that. Because you have these two guys who have their hands all over one another from dusk to dawn. Hours on end, when the sun comes up, one of them finally turns to the other one and goes, like, by the way, we have not been properly introduced to one another. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, well, actually, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. Jacob said, please, tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. You know, as we continue to strain forward in this context, in this stretch, uh, where we are trying to both be present and dignify all people who are with us in our presence, both individually, but also collectively as a community, as a church, how we're doing this right now. I find something so interesting because I find a conflict that is apparent inside of this text that is also present in all of our trying. It is a conflict that is, is old as time itself. It was not uh, it's not new. It's not, it, wasn't, it didn't originate in China. There was no Dr. Fauci that's going to spare us from it. It is this age-old conflict between uh, who I am and who I really want you to see me as. This conflict between who we really are and, and who it is that we think that we're supposed to be. Between my purpose and the things that I post, my, my identity and what I've inherited from the kingdom of God, and what I'm putting out there in hopes that it'll impress some of you. What we see in this struggle is that specific struggle. And, and it becomes especially clear, not just when you lay your eyes on this wrestling match, but when you actually feast on the totality of wrestling matches that Jacob goes through in his life. Because it's not just here at the end of Jacob's story that we see him wrestling. We actually find it at the very start of his story. Rewind with me to Genesis 25. In Genesis 25, we see Jacob is born as a wrestler, like a, a prehistoric Kurt Beinlich of sorts. He was born to get down and dirty on the mat. And in Genesis 25, you have a context here where Isaac, his dad, and Rebecca, his, his mom, they haven't had any kids. And so Isaac goes to God and says, Lord, we have not had kids. That's a huge problem. Is there any way that we could fix that problem? Do you have any extra tricks up your sleeve at this particular time? And God says, I'll, I'll, I'll come through and provide that for you. Rebecca ends up getting pregnant. She's overjoyed. They take her to the doctor, though. And the doctors, they kind of strap on the sonogram machine. And they go, guess what? Things are getting really weird in there because not only are you pregnant with a child, you're actually carrying two kids, and they're not just carrying on in peace right now. They are in a full mode 
wrestling. This is like sibling rivalry on steroids. They are getting after one another. And then Rebecca says this line that I think I've experienced as a parent. I think every parent at least says at least five times a day. It's why we move happy time, happy hour from the p.m. to the a.m. She says in Genesis 25, why is this happening to me? I asked God for this. I somehow got that. Why does this thing that I asked for that felt like a blessing now feel like I'm carrying it like it's such a flipping burden? Why is this happening to me? And in that space, God actually provides an explanation. God said, here's the thing, Rebecca. These two boys that are inside your one stomach, they will represent two different nations. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, pay attention to when the birth actually happens. When the time came for the birth to happen, the two two boys came out, and baby boy number one came out red and like head to toe in hair, like covered in hair. In fact, he he was such a hairy garment that he was wearing, it appeared, that they actually named him Esau, which etymologically in the Hebrew language means one who is made. And so this baby is not somebody who's about to grow up. This is baby who is already fully grown. This is Benjamin Button. He's been made. He, he is at the tail end of the life story, even though he's arriving in infant size. He is hairy. He's got a baritone voice. He's ready to hit the woods and hunt. This boy, Esau, is one who is made. But as they're pulling Esau up from the mother, and they're about to place Esau on Rebecca's chest, he's like snagged on something, and they look down, and they recognize that Jacob is grabbing his heel. What's fascinating about this text, especially when you lean in and notice the different things that are happening when they are naming the kids, when it came to Esau, you have both parents that named that boy Esau. When it came to Jacob, there was only one parent that named that child Jacob. Only one parent that said, we're going to call him Jacob. While the other parent sat silently to the side saying, I don't know if that's the best idea. Jacob means the heel grabber, but it also means the deceitful one, the trickster, the fraud, the calm man, the one who cuts corners. The one who will say anything, do anything, dance anything that's going to get him ahead, even if it comes at the cost of others. Jacob, the deceitful one, the heel grabber. Actually, you know, when the rabbis talk about this story, they talk about even just the reason why this story has the symbol of heel. Like why Jacob didn't grab the toes or the foot or the calf, but he grabbed the heel is because the heel is not a straightforward thing. The heel is that thing that pivots other things. The heel turns, it's crooked. Jacob is, is this person by his very name that is believed to be deceitful and go around things. He's not going to shoot you straight. He's going to turn and get what he wants. So says the name. So you have this moment where Jacob comes out wrestling. And from this very first moment, we recognize that in his name, his parents, or at least one of his parents, recognize that Jacob is somebody whose reach exceeds his grasp. And when the first hands that hold him see what his hand is holding... They give him this identity that then carries within it this sense of inferiority. Can you just talk for a moment about being stuck inside of something? I I don't know if it's true for any of you, whether it's actually good or bad, but somebody named you something when you were young, and you ended up carrying that with you, and you're 42 years old now. Somebody did something to you, took something from you, somebody gave something to you, put something on you, and it's been 70 years, and you still can't figure out how to take that thing off. 
in your most vulnerable moments, there are wires that are tripped, and you're going, where did that come from? And you're going, 1982, when they said that or he did this. What is that for you? What is the thing that was put on you before you had a say on whether or not you wanted it on you? And how are you carrying that to this day? Jacob had to answer that question. Jacob was given this identity that inflicted him with a sense of inferiority, and it didn't help when he's got a brother like Esau, because Esau in the scripture is laid out as like this skilled hunter, the macho man. He can go into the woods and, and skin a buck and run a trout line and do all the things that, that the macho men can do. But when it comes to Jacob, it says that Jacob's at home in the tents. Jacob's not in the woods with Esau. Jacob's back home with mom. Jacob is back there, but Esau is making progress out here. Jacob is the number two, the heel-grabbing, deceitful son. And after all these years where you can kind of imagine, especially maybe painfully so, you can imagine what it's like to be in a house that does not feel like a home where both of the parents are lavishing all of their love on boy number one while you are just lost in the blur. You can imagine the toll that that starts to take. And as the years go on and Daddy Isaac gets old, Jacob recognizes that his breathing is starting to slow down, that his legs are starting to stagger when they walk through the tents. And now his eyes are growing dim. So much so that at one point in his life, as Isaac's days are, are all but numbered, uh, his mom says he's going to cough up the blessing at any moment now. And so Isaac is in his bed. He can no longer see straight, and he calls on Esau. And he says, Esau, come in here. I'm about to bless you. I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to pass along the inheritance of this, of this house that we are in, the wealth that I have accrued. I'm about to hand you the keys to the kingdom that we have built. Esau, come in here. Can you do one more thing, though, for me? Before I make this blessing official, before we sign this over to you, could you go one more time into the forest and find me a good elk and bring home some good food so that we can have one last supper before I pass along to you this lasting blessing? And Esau goes, Dad, I'm, I'll, of course, say no more. I know just what you need. Esau grabs his bows, his arrows, spears, whatever you do, and he heads out to the woods. Same time, Mama Rebecca says to Jacob, hey, the blessing's happening right now. Let's make a move right now. Go in there and wear Esau's clothes, head to toe, hairy garment, have him touch you, have him believe that it is not you, and the blessing will be yours, and you will be able to run this house like I believe is probably in your best interest to do so. So the text actually says, it says that Jacob gives his mom this green light, and then mom gets Esau's clothes, and she ends up putting them on uh, her son Jacob. And this is I don't know, when I'm reading a text like this, these Hebrew stories, these ancient stories, and you always ask in the background of your mind, why are we still telling these crazy stories like this? Like, what is the thing inside of this thing that is still edifying and empowering for us today? But you read a text like that, and it's kind of like that's how it works. Like, we end up letting other people put their things on us for their plans and their dreams, and we end up carrying them to our own consequences even if it works, you know, even if the plan comes into fruition, if the blessing is snagged, as this scene will later say, it doesn't always work like we think it is. Jacob goes into the room looking like Esau, and dad hears feet entering the room, and he says, who is it? And Jacob says, it's your son. Dad goes, Esau? He goes, yeah, it's Esau. 
Dad starts scratching his head and going, I know my eyes aren't working. The ears are fine. You sound like Jacob. Come closer and let me just touch you and just to make sure that you are indeed Esau. And so Jacob, with trepidation, I would imagine, walks closer to dad's side of the bed and, and um, he leans out his hand and dad p- touches his arm. I'm like, when he's so hairy, I'm thinking he's petting him. Maybe he is petting him at this point. Dad starts petting his boy, thinking that it is Esau, gets it confirmed. And this is the danger in, in living this life where you are pretending to be someone you are not. Because you can get so good at wearing the costume that even those who are closest to you cannot tell the difference. Even those who, who know you best, who raised you up, if you play most of your days being who you are not, eventually the lines start to blur between who you actually are. And people assume that the fake you is the real you, and it's just not true. It's why the daunting task in every uh, invitation is, 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 are you actually being who you are? Like that question when Jacob walks into the room, who is in my room? Whose feet just trepid on the door? Uh, is it, are you going to say your name or are you going to say the person that you want to be? In fact, if you rewind even further than Genesis 25 and go back to Genesis 12, Father Abraham, the initial call of the faith, the father of the three faiths, when he is invited to take this journey of spiritual evolution and discovery and, and be the founding figure of these spiritual movements, the word that comes from God to Abraham is lech lecha, which means not to go to some distant land, but to go to yourself. And I will show you there the land that I provided you. Go to yourself. It always drives me crazy when I hear... Preachers talk about Abraham's faith as Abraham being willing to go to this place that he didn't know where he was going. He knew where he was going. Abraham's faith is remarkable because he knew where he was going and he didn't want to go there, and yet he was faithful and chose to go all the same. He went into himself. All the old wounds, all the old victories, the places he was violent, the places he was a victim, it is all buried in his past, and he brings it up here, and he goes to the depths of it all. Jacob didn't want to go there. Jacob said, I'm going to play the role of Esau. Even, let me just get the blessing, and then I'll try to do some self-help work. I'll go see a therapist. Uh, I'll, I'll try to return to who I actually am afterwards. But for now, let me just go in there and Esau, and the whole thing will sort itself out afterwards. The problem with this plan that Rebecca and Jacob concocted together is that it wasn't really um, well-developed because eventually, you know, Esau is going to come back in. Mr. Macho Man with the gun on his back is eventually going to come back in. When he finds out that, Jacob, you snagged his blessing, he's not going to be psyched about it. So that happens. Esau comes back in. He sniffs something funny in the air. He grabs the gun that was already on his back, and Rebecca turns to her boy and says, you, you better get going. You better start running. And Jacob grabs the little that he had, and he hits the door, and he runs, and he hides. And he moves from city to city trying to build a life outside of somebody else's life. He lands the blessing, but he doesn't receive the blessing. He starts booking it. He actually ends up running for over 21 years. And it is this cyclical story that we see in this text that I see in myself. And I think you might see it in yourself as well. The cyclical story where we get what we want only to find out that it's just not what we needed the whole time. We get what we were in pursuit of only to find out that it's not actually what we wanted the whole time. Jacob, he runs for his life. He is out on the road. He gets so caught up in being somebody that he completely forgets who he actually is. And here's the biggest problem with this. Debbie, when we were talking about this text yesterday, 
the thing that jumps out at this text, and I feel like I heard another preacher say it first, but it struck me when I heard it, is that this reality where you see Jacob scrambling away from the house that he was just given the keys to own is that God cannot and will not bless who you pretend to be. God will not bless who you pretend to be. Isaac may be able to bless Jacob who's dressed up all like Esau, but God will not give you anything that's going to keep you from being who you are. It's just not in the cards. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that's a really pressing thing to think about because for me, there's, there's many different versions of me. Like there's the me that I am right now, which is, has like the highs and the lows. Most of the time, though, is very impatient with my kids, is selfish, curses too much, definitely drinks too much, wastes time. Like is, there's better versions of me out there. In fact, I could tell you one. I have a, like a Matt 2.0 that's so much better than this beta version before you right now that I think about and try to live up to all the time. This Matt 2.0, he is uh, um, smart. He is compassionate, he is practical, he is wise, he is kind, he is like healthily prioritizing his life. He's the person that I want to be. And until I am that person, I'm going to pretend to be him as I live in this beta version reality. I'm not still being myself though. It's coming at the cost of who I actually am. The invitation that God extends to Abraham, the invitation that was cast before Jacob, it is still one that I continue to decline, and it's killing me. Is it killing you? The gap between who you are and who you thought you needed to be. Are you trying so hard to wear Esau's clothes that you are missing out on the blessings for Jacob? Are you trying so hard to convince God to bless who you are pretending to be and you can't figure out why it's not working? When I look at this story and as it goes forward, it is that, that is the essential problem that the whole thing is oriented around. And we try to build these costumes in different ways. And there's the cliches. We go to Instagram, social media, we go to, we get money and sex and fame. And yeah, that's true. But it also can happen through going to church and being good and not being the prodigal son, but being the person in the front row pew. I mean, religion can be an incredible way to bypass the journey of the soul, to, to take your life and make it small and keep you from seeing who you actually are. Jacob is on the run, but eventually, at some point, when his two wives are being sent away, when his servants, when the kids, when the possessions, when the cars, when the bank account is, is, is empty, Eventually, he's going to be still and silent, and the voice of Christ will enter into his problem and say, tell me again, like, what do you gain if you get the whole wide world, but it comes at the cost of your soul? What have you actually gained? I know you caught the blessing of Isaac, but you didn't actually experience the abundance of the inheritance. So something went awry for you. Jacob, later in his life, though, he has this dream where his life is interrupted, and He has this experience where essentially God sees him in all of his running, interrupts him and makes him go on pause and says that you are loved as you are. You are safe. I will be with you till the end of time. I'm not going anywhere, Jacob. I know you feel like you can't be who you are, but I am telling you definitively and as loudly as I can that you are loved right now, period. And in this moment, I believe it happens in Genesis 28, Jacob wakes up from this dream and realizes maybe I can still go home. Maybe I can go back to Esau, make things right, and try to go back to the life that I left. And he does that. 
he ends up sending all of his possessions, his wives, his servants, his kids, all up ahead of him to meet with Esau, hoping that in doing so, these gifts will pacify Esau's anger and will make things okay. Esau responds to Jacob's messengers who are, who are saying that this is all coming your way and says, oh, sure, we will meet with him, but just so you know, we're going to bring 400 people with us, 400 men who are strapped with heat. We're going to show up as well. We're not psyched about what's happening. So the moment that we have of our text today is the moment before that meeting goes down. Jacob is sending all of his people across the river. He is now by himself alone, and he is the night before he goes and meets with Esau. And in the silence of being alone, in the stillness of the night, a man, mysterious, later revealed to be an angel or God, comes and just decks him and they start wrestling. All throughout the night they start wrestling. Until finally at the end of the night while they are tossing and turning and the sun is about to come up, the guy turns to Jacob, breaks his hip, and then tells him, you got to get off, man. The sun's coming up. Let's wrap this up as soon as possible. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me first. You know, I think the thing that is standing out to me in this stretch, and we're trying to understand who we are as we make our way through this season, there's something powerful about seeing somebody who is willing to hold on even if it hurts him in doing so, who's willing to stay the course even if it breaks his hip in doing so. There's something powerful about seeing somebody who believes that this is significant. This matters. I'm giving my life to this. This is important to me and not just convenient to me. Jacob says, hold on. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not tap out. Now, what's interesting is that it is to be revealed it's the father that is wrestling with him. Not the father he grew up with, but the father of Isaac. And the father of Abraham, it is God the father. And after running with his whole life with the father, his father, Isaac, after he asks him, who are you? We have at the tail end of this wrestling match, the father asking him again, who are you? Do you want to actually name who you are? Or do you want to continue on with this nonsense of pretending to be somebody else? And with the sun breaking over the distance... Jacob says, there's no reason for me to perform anymore. I'm not on any particular stage. I am Jacob. I'm not Esau. Never been Esau. I'm Jacob. And after he does that, after Jacob owns who he has been, the angel gives him the good news and brings him into who he is born to be. He says, I know that you know now who you are, so let me provide you with news that tells you who you were born to be. You are Israel, the one who wrestled with God and was triumphant. Change is hard. Life is hard. We are in this stretch where it is so tempting to put on Esau's clothes to receive somebody else's blessing because we do not like what we are carrying on our own. My encouragement from, to you from this text is that to trust that you, as Jacob, you're sufficient. You are loved. You are saved. Lech lecha, come into yourself and see the land that God has provided for you. Amen. One of the things that really resonated with me about what Matt had to say was this idea that we all have multiple names. We have those, those names that have been given to us by others. We have names that we give ourselves, and some of those names, they're nurturing and they're life-giving. Some of those names leave us wounded and dying. 
those names, they define us by others and by ourselves. But what about that other name? What about our truest name, the name that God defines us by, the name that God calls us? And I think this story that Matt just shared with us talks just about that, that this name that, this true name that God calls us, that he desires to call us, that we, we find out about when we're doing that wrestling in the middle of the night, that's when we can be on this journey of faith, this journey of becoming is that when we hear that true name, that name that says, you are my beloved, and that's where we land with our identity. So every Sunday night when we gather together in this place of communion where we take bread and we take wine and we break that together and we dip it into the cup and we're reminded of our belovedness, we're reminded of a God that calls us beloved, just as we are, right where we are. The night before Jesus died, he sat at a table with his disciples and he took bread. He broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. He took the cup and he poured wine into that cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. Come for everyone. And so during the music, we invite you to take bread, crackers, chips, wine, water, juice, and take that and dip it into the cup. And be reminded of your truest name. Be reminded that you are the beloved of God. And while you take that bread and the cup, I would love to have you hear these words. The body of Christ broken for you and his blood shed for you. Now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. and Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. Amen.